Welcome to a special episode of the What's Up With Docs podcast, celebrating the Black Association of Documentary Filmmakers West, or Bad West, 14th Annual Day of Black Docs. I'm Tony Bell, the creator and host. I would like to acknowledge the traditional ancestral unceded territory of the Tongva and the Chumash on which this podcast is being recorded. We do land acknowledgments as an act of reconciliation that recognizes the traditional territory of the indigenous people who called the land home before the arrival of colonizers, and in many cases still do call it home. The What's Up With Docs podcast team is committed to practicing anti-racism and anti-oppression. We stand in solidarity with the people of Palestine whose indigenous lands are being occupied and with their Jewish-Israeli allies. You can show your support by visiting www.bdsmovement.net and making a donation. Again, that's www.bdsmovement.net. And if you are in the U.S., call and email your senator, congressperson, and the offices of President Biden and Vice President Harris. Demand that they follow through on their support for a ceasefire and halt weapons cells because those are American bombs that are being dropped, which makes those of us who are in the U.S. complicit in these acts especially if we choose to do nothing. In our season one interview with former Bad West co-chair Denise Hamilton, I told you about how Bad West was my entryway into the documentary field. If it hadn't been for that organization, whose mission is to center Black documentary creators, I would not be where I am today. The What's Up With Docs podcast is proud to be a sponsor of Bad West's 14th annual day of Black Docs, which is happening tomorrow, Saturday, May 22nd, from 11.30 to 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. In this episode, I speak with two of the three Bad West officers, Joyce Guy and Melissa Strong. We chat about their documentary origin stories and the incredible lineup of documentary features and shorts that will be screened tomorrow. Because Bad West is always about the Blackness, this episode's song is James Brown's anthem, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Here is our conversation, which was recorded in May 2021. I've talked about my Bad West um, journey um, on the show on, on several episodes because I actually give a lot of credit to Bad West because it's how I got started into documentaries. Um, but I want to first ask you, Joyce, about how you got, how long have you been in Bad West and how did you find the organization? You know, I was going in my mind to think about when, because I was uh, marinating on my piece and I think I had just come back from Senegal because I went in, uh, oh yes, I went in 2002. You know, I had this idea about the project and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And um, tell us the name of the project. The name of my piece is called Dancing Like. It was my uh, journey back to Casama, uh, Senegal to trace the origins of the dance there because I've been studying African dance for 50,000 years. And so um, I had gone in 1996 and I had this experience um, with this Jola family in Dakar, Senegal. And it just kind of just changed my life. I mean, I was into African dance, but then I became obsessed, you know, once I had that uh, encounter with this uh, family of Jola women. Again, like I said, me and my dance teacher just like had this idea to do this. And of course I said, you know what? I can't really do this just on paper. I got to go. So I, uh, you know, found a producer 
uh, I found a cinematographer and my dance teacher. We went to Kazamas Synagogue. Kazamas is uh, the lower part of Senegal. That's where all the, uh, it's the farming area. That's where they grow peanuts and rice and the whole thing. But that's where the region of the dances that are my favorite uh, of the dances of Senegal are from the Kazamas. So I got my little handy dandy credit card and my uh, tax money. And I took my producer, my uh, cinematographer, and my dance teacher, and it was basically a location scout type of thing to get permission because my teacher said, you know, if we're going to shoot, we have to go to each of the villages that we're going to to get permission from the chiefs to shoot, but also to find out who the people are, the keepers of the dance, and who knows the history of the dance and how it started and the whole thing. So we went for a month. And uh, we came back and it was exhausting. It was exhilarating, but it was completely exhausting. And I still didn't know what the hell I was doing. It's like, okay, what's this thing called story? I received an email because I, once I started on this journey of doing a documentary film and it was interesting how bold and fearless I was. And so I was just emailing everybody because sometimes we don't know what you're doing. It's, it's easy to be boldless and fearless. <laughs> exactly. And so um, for some reason, I, and I cannot recall, but I just remember hearing St. Clair's name because I know a really good friend of mine who lives in New York who was kind of helping me a little bit. Um, he knew of St. Clair. And so, uh, you know, but I just like knew that he was this guy in New York, you know, doing documentary films and a lot of people looked up to him and the whole thing. But anyway, and I can't even remember how I got on the email list, but I remember getting the email about St. Clair coming to uh, L.A. to talk about how L.A. can form a documentary group. I went to, I think, me and my producer, Leslie, because Leslie was still living here. She's living in New Jersey now, but at the time she was living in L.A. And so the both of us went. Now, she kind of knew of St. Clair because Leslie, uh, she worked as a, um, a camera assistant because she worked with Spike. And so she knew of uh, him from the Do the Right Thing because I think she worked on to Do the Right Thing. And so, but when they did the documentary, so she had some sense of who St. Clair was. Um, so anyway, so I went to the first meeting and the first meeting was at the Writers Guild. In the big room, there were about 150 people came out. What? About 150 people came out to that first meeting. Wow. Mm. So anyway, so I was there at the first meeting. The very first meeting. The very first meeting because I thought St. Clair was a guy in his 30s. I thought he was like this young guy. And so when he showed up, I was like, oh my God, okay, this is like this very distinguished young, gen I mean, gentleman guy. And I, I was expecting this young guy. I mean, not that St. Clair was like, oh, but it's like, you know, I wasn't expecting him to be so, you know, this statuesque tall man and the whole thing. And so from there, you know, the email list and the meetings became more consistent. And so, I mean, I knew that I needed help because again, I had no idea what I was doing. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought I knew what I was doing, but I was there because I needed to learn more because I didn't, you know, grasp the enormity of doing a documentary film. And it's like, okay, St. Clair is here. So I know that this is the place that's going to help me with my film. 
Again, there was no name because it was the first meeting. It wasn't even bad West yet. Okay. There was no name. I mean, the name did not come until later. And so, but I was there at the first meeting. And Melissa, how long have you been um, in Bad West? How did your Bad West journey begin? I think it began in, I believe, 2010. I became a member. And the way that I got to the organization, it truly might have been an internet search. Uh, what had happened is that I am originally from Chicago, was always in theater and television, and then had gotten on the production, uh, producing, directing side of the business. I'd worked on talk shows. I'd worked on game shows. So let me ask you this. Um, what talk shows and game shows did you work on? Oh, uh, initially I worked on, I, and I actually loved each and every one of them. I worked on Soap Talk, which was with Lisa Renna and Ty Treadway. It was called Soap Talk, was with uh, Soap Net, which was a tan channel under the Disney umbrella. And it uh, was about... Uh, talk shows. It was daytime and the nighttime. So they, you could see soap operas at night, right? So it was daytime during prime time. That's what it was, right? So I, I, I loved working on that show. It was really funny though, when people would, I'd say, oh, I work on soap talk and people would say, oh, I, I really love that show. And I, I knew they didn't think of soap talk. They were talking about talk soup and that's okay. <laughs> Except unless they were athletes, because athletes have a lot of time for daytime television. I remember once when LA was hosting um, something for the NBA, and so I was I was somewhere, and the guy goes, "Oh yeah, I love I love that show." And I said, uh, "You actually don't know what I'm talking about." And he's like, "No, no, I love Lisa Rinna and Ty Treadway." And I start looking around for friends. I was like, "Oh, who has fed this guy information about me?" But he really did. Athletes like daytime, right? And so he really did like the show uh, Soap Talk. And I, I actually, I love talk shows and I love the novella genre. And I think that people really do, right? Because there's a lot of uh, primetime shows that really are novellas, right? And, and soap operas in many ways. And then at, at, when I moved in, my big break for my career in Los Angeles, I became the production manager for the ACLU Freedom Files, which was a 10-part documentary series. It aired on a court television. And so uh, things that were near and dear to my heart, uh, social um, justice issues, uh, voting rights, right? Women, women's rights, uh, um, racial profiling. And it was a 10-part documentary series that I am forever grateful to the ACLU for sponsoring. And they did several seasons of that. And I was really very, very happy. So that was my entree into, I was always doing reality television. I worked on Deal or No Deal. I think that I think that Meghan Markle was the model one of the years, the very final season that was on there. She was. I think there was some crossover on the season that I did. I'm not trying to claim Meghan Markle, but I do think that one of the seasons I was there, <laughs> it was a big show. It was a big show. It was Howie Mandel, a, a very, very nice man. Very nice man. And then when I did this whole piece with the ACL Freedom Files, that was my entree into document. I've always liked documentaries, but that was my right. actually working in that genre and realizing that that was probably where my career should lie. And I really liked it. The um, ACLU Freedom Files, so that focused just on the, the ACLU nationally or just on um, 
the branch here in Los Angeles. No, it was nationally. So we did all of the work out of the office in, in uh, um, ACLU. At that time, Romero was the head of the ACLU. He is no longer, but a, a very, very nice man. And so, and I support the organization. And it was very, very interesting because it really crossed the political um, schism that we experience here, right? So, I mean, I, I, one of my experiences, I had a camera person in Oklahoma. It's nothing about Oklahoma per se, but he says, oh, no, no, I can't work for this organization. It's the ACLU. They defend everybody. I, I advise him of that. They absolutely defend everyone. I said, your issue, you might think it's a liberal organization. I said, but they have defended cases of people to have, you know, not to be sensational here, but uh, have pictures of aborted fetuses on their lawns. I said, so it really is an organization that goes across uh, the political spectrum. So I respected this camera person because I was responsible for doing crews literally around the world. I mean, I was up 24 seven, people would call me uh, anytime around the clock. And but I said, I respect your, um, your choice not to work on this project, but to let you know, this is an organization that, that does uh, respect as well as support uh, everyone's political views. They support people in free speech. Yes. When I was working on the Tom Bradley documentary, I had the opportunity to look through some of their files at the UCLA, which was amazing because they, the one in branch in LA in particular has been doing the good fight for years. I mean, there were mm -hmm. letters dating back from like the twenties and the thirties against like housing discrimination and Black folks, you know, Japanese Americans and um, Jewish folks asking for support from the ACLU. So yeah, from all from back in the day, you know. So absolutely, those charters with, were within the city of Los Angeles in the fifties and sixties. I guess all the restrictive covenants in there. Yes, uh, and he's a great camera person, mm -hmm. and I respected his views. But I just wanted to let him know that it is available to everyone. Mm -hmm. so I know there's the perception that it's a left-leaning organization. And so that's how I got my start. And then once I finished that series, it was a wonderful experience for me. I started to look for projects of my own, and had started to reach out to a friend of mine who lived in Philadelphia that worked in an AIDS hospice. And then sometimes documentaries, just timing, right? You just kind of miss the window. And I had missed the window of the Bean um, Hospice that was closing here in Los Angeles. I mean, that had become my focus with her. And then that closed here. And so uh, very, the project I'm still working on was uh, anecdotal. I went to a birthday party and there was a black magician. And I had thought about all of my experiences in my life. I had never seen a, a black magician at all. And I was, I was very interesting to experience it within the party and that kind of thing. And I was like, really black magicians. I mean, I've always, I've seen magicians my entire life, but I've never seen a black magician. And so I uh, started just doing a little research and found out that the very first American born magician that had a career here in the United States was born of a slave mother and that kind of thing had started his career in the, in England, but moved and his name is, um, last name is Potter. Not to be confused with Harry Potter, but his name is Potter. They have a whole town named after him. And um, I started uh, doing something about African-Americans and the conjuring arts. It's called Black Magic. And it's very interesting. There's all kinds of magicians, prestidigitations, illusion, uh, close-up magic, um, mentalist. There's a lot of Black magicians also steeped in the you know minstrel tradition. But uh, that's not only it. But I mean, there's a lot of Black magicians now. And there's Hypno Bro and all kinds kinds of people. And so <laughs> that's his name. I love that name. And so that began my current documentary that I've been working on for a while now. Money's been an issue, but it's called Black Magic, African-Americans in the Conjuring Arts.
Y'all hear that? Melissa needs some money for her documentary. So you were working on your documentary and that's what made you begin to start attending Bad West meetings? It was, yes. So after I did the ACLU series as a professional, as a production manager, then I thought, you know, uh, I, I think that there are, as we know, there's a lot of Black stories that need to be told mm -hmm. from our own voice. And uh, it was very interesting that uh, there's another uh, documentary about Black magicians. And I was, I'm not shocked, but I can't tell you how many people kept saying, you know, there's already one uh, movie. And I thought, Dick. there are a myriad of stories. Come on. That... I'm not going to mention what they are that are told over and over and over again. And I can assure you when other documentarians embark on those story, I'm almost certain that no one ever tells them mm -hmm. that that story has already been done. Right. This, this is not Highlander. There could be, a, there could be only one that does, does not apply here. Let's just say World War One. There are a myriad. Let me just say something that's not a, a, a no pun intended minefield at all. Uh, <laughs> that, that if you say there are a million documentaries about World War One or World War Two, if you say I'm doing a documentary about World War Two, I don't believe that anyone's going to say to you, you know, there's always been, there already has been a documentary about World War Two. No, no one ever says mm -mm, that. Mm -mm. But if as the black story, I was initially, and then I just became hardened to it, astounded at how many. Many people said, you know, there's already been a documentary about Black magicians. Now, mind you, I've never seen it. I've never heard of it. Anyone I've spoken to anecdotally has never heard of it. But I can assure you if there had been other subject matter, mm -hmm. no one would say to that documentary or that person or that director that that story has already been told before. Because as we know, stories can be told and retold. Yes, and different perspectives when people are telling it. You bring your own perspective as a sister to it. So I would tell any Black documentarian... If someone says to you that story's but they've already done that story and it's literally been once, uh, tell that story again. You have a point of view. Joyce, this, we're recording this episode um, to celebrate the upcoming Day of Black Docs, which is happening tomorrow. So um, Joyce, give us a history of the Day of Black Docs, because this is going to be like our the 14th annual one. Again, I'm going to, you know, go back because uh, when we started, because St. Clair, he came. And so, yeah, he started, you know, the meetings. I mean, at that point, they weren't, uh, you know, once a month. And so St. Clair, he was screening documentaries or he was inviting special guests. Uh, John Singleton had hmm. a space in Lamert Park. It was just, uh, it was not a space. It was kind of like a, mm -hmm. a, his office in the back. And it kind of sat about 10, 15 people. And so St. Clair would invite people. It was just invited to watch documentaries and then they would talk about them. From there, it kind of expanded because I remember from there, you know, we're on this trajectory of uh, having meetings on a regular basis. And I think St. Clair knew a woman at Kodak right in Hollywood. So we uh, moved there. And that's when we started showing films. Again, they weren't on a monthly basis, if I'm not mistaken, but we were uh, showing films at Kodak. And it was a great space, a nice, lovely space. And I remember we were having a meeting at Denise Hamilton's apartment and that's where the notion of doing a screening as a fundraiser 
And I'm not quite sure who coined, because I think it was like somebody said, you know, well, we should do a day of black documentaries. And someone's like, day of black. So, I mean, it was like, you know, one of those things It's like, okay, we're going to, let's do a day where we're going to just like show documentaries all day long. <laughs> and then someone, and I can't remember, just like shouted, mm-hmm. oh man, this is like a day of black docs. And so that was the inception at that meeting. And of course it was a fundraiser because we had very little money to even operate or do anything. And so that first day of Black Mm -hmm. Docs, David Massey was able to get us uh, at AFI. That first day of Black Docs was just absolutely electrifying. We had Yorba Richen showed her film and then we had, and I cannot remember this filmmaker was called uh, the Confederates of the United States. Oh, the Confederate States of America. America, Yeah, it's yes. a documentary. It's really good. Executive produced by Spike Lee. Yes, yeah, good. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, if what would happen if the South won? Which, uh, which the scary thing about that one is not much would be different. Exactly. And so we showed that. And then uh, Mario Van Peebles and his dad came. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, Melvin... Wow. Pete showed up. It was just, I think, you know, because I think at that point, I think I was the treasurer. And so we had Uh uh so much traffic that uh, I think about 200 and something people showed up that day. I mean, it was just absolutely amazing because St. Clair, he had this amazing mailing list. I mean, he knew a lot of people in LA. I mean, he just knew a lot of people, just knew everybody. And so, um, you know, the nice thing about St. Clair, he was like a worker bee. And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't a question of, oh, can somebody know he would do this stuff himself? But anyway, so that was the inception of the first day of Black Docs in 2006. It was just... um, can re- I can just remember it so vividly because the films were just amazing. It was just, you know, because that I don't think, you know, that I think that was the first time that anybody did, you know, a day of a black docs of just documentary films. Just documentaries. You know, just documentaries, just period. But on top of it, you know, documentaries directed by black people. And right. it was just absolutely exciting. So that's how uh uh, the day of black docs uh, happened. So for those of you who are kind of doing the math, we actually had to cancel day of black docs last year. Cause you know, Miss Rona wanted us to be doing other stuff. So, <laughs> so that's why we're not having the 15th. Right, we're having exactly. the 14th. Right, yeah, so, right. yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get into what we're going to be doing um, tomorrow. So before we get into the films, we're actually going to be doing Day of Black Docs virtually, and there's going to be a signature drink for the day. Melissa, would you like to tell us about that? Uh, it's it's not just about the drink, yes. Yeah? So it's about the wraparound of the day of the events. We start the event with a coffee and conversation, the introduction of the officers, as well as talking about our programming. And we have a we have a, a number of wonderful events outside of the membership, but as well as we're going to have one of our curators, John Kill, talking about our fourth Mondays. But at the end, we want to have some fun. Of these, uh, uh, we're going to have some fun after uh, this day of really great program. So we're going to have uh, something we've never had before, uh, critics uh, not talking specifically about the films, but about the nature of or 
for the state of Black documentary in general, right? And all members can join in and talk about that. But at, because it's an after party, we're going to have cocktails. So it's, so it's going to be called the DOBD, uh, just so everyone knows. And my former life, and I'm from Chicago. I was a bartender in Chicago. I worked at Mr. B Ricky's Blue Note. <laughs> Is that is that a blues bar? I'm at a blues club. Actually, no, it's a it's a steppers club. So anybody from Chicago would know Mr. Ricky's Blue Note. I'm laughing because it was an interesting experience. But I <laughs> so I'm not a mixologist, but I am a bartender. So we're gonna do the DOBD. We're gonna have two variations of this uh, a very fun beverage. We're gonna have a non-drinkers beverage, right? An adult beverage. And so for those who are non-alcohol uh, drinkers, we're gonna have this day of black dog is going to be pomegranate based and then we're going to have one that's going to be based in a blackberry liqueur uh, make sure you tune into our instagram our twitter as well as our facebook page for the for the actual uh, recipe for the cocktails as well as where you can purchase your ingredients joyce tell us about who our amazing moderator is going to be our amazing moderator is miss tamika lamison Tamika, uh, she is the executive director of the Commercial Directors Diversity Program, and she created an inclusion and diversity program under the umbrella of the Directors Guild of America and the Association of Independent Commercial Producers. But also, uh, Tamika, she has her own nonprofit called Make a Film Foundation. It's kind of like Make-A-Wish. And it's so, you know, kids that are, you know, that have cancer or, um, you know, have some health issues, they can make a film. And she gets a lot of high profile actors to act in uh, these films that these children write and direct. How cool is that? And it's it's so, so cool. Make a Film Foundation. So uh, Tamika is the creator and executive director of that nonprofit. She was supposed to be our host last year. And, you know, she... We called her up and said, Tamika, can you come this year? And she said, yes. So I'm excited. I'm really excited about having her. She's an amazing person. She's amazing, generous with her time. I've known her for a number of years. We did Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. Mm. That film festival okay. a, a oh, number okay. of years ago. Yes. She is mm -hmm. a force to be reckoned with. And an yes, incredibly definitely. wonderful and generous person. We're very, very lucky to have her. And she's also an actor and also a writer and also a producer. So she, Tamika, wears many hats, lots and lots of hats. She's a badass. She's a badass. I'll just say that. She's a badass woman. Let's get into our film. So um, Melissa, you want to tell us a little bit about our first film, um, feature film, Pigeon Kings? What I love about this film, what I love about this film, what I love about this film is that it's an L.A. story. Mm -hmm. It is yes. a film that's about birding on the pigeon level is across the nation, right? I have seen uh, stories about that also on the West Coast, on the East Coast, but this is very much an LA story. So when it opened up, no lie, when it opened up and I saw the houses, I was like, this is LA. The imagery, the storytelling was to me very um, personal. I'm not from Los Angeles, but I've lived here for a number of years. And that's what I loved about it. 
these pigeons that are from Birmingham, England? The origin of the bird, right. right? And so not all of them are from there. I thought that this was the perfect opening for this year's um, festival was a very distinctive, a very, a very black story, but all, it's not even a black story, it's a black and brown story, but it's also a very LA story. And that's why I'm very, very excited that this is, this is what opens our festival this year. All right. And then our next film. Well, yeah, we, we can do, you know, we have, uh, we decided to do uh, some short because we, you know, in the processes of curating the uh, Black Docs, do we include shorts? Do we not? Do we have enough time? Do we? And so we ended up, uh, we did have enough time. And so we have three incredible shorts in our short block. I think our short block is only 17 minutes. You know, one, we have a member, Elizabeth uh, Gray Bain. Uh, she has a, a short, it's three minutes long, but it's just one of the sweetest films I've seen. It's called A Cowgirl and Her Horse. Because Elizabeth, she's been working uh, because we had screened another one of her films um, a few years ago. And so she's been, you know, working on a few films or about a series of Black cowgirls. This is an extension of that series. And so she focuses on this 11 year old girl, um, you know, preparing uh, for this competition and this three minute film. And it's just a absolutely amazing, just sweet film. I just, I think we all just kind of melted when we saw a cowgirl and her horse. And just to interject what Joyce said, uh, we don't want to ignore the short. I mean, let's all be very clear that this is actually a category in the Oscars as well. And so aspirationally for our membership and so other people should not ignore that the short format is storytelling and it is recognized. And we want people to know if you don't have a feature, uh, uh, stories don't have to be long. Stories uh, can be fleeting and beautiful and touching in a very short period of time. And I know that the, 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 the curating committee for a Day of Black Docs um, wants to recognize the beauty and the importance of the short story, short documentary format. We usually try to at least have one, but it's nice. This is the first time we've ever had three short docs in one of our, our days. And so we're, you know, really excited. Very strong and fantastic. And so we have another piece called See You Next Time yeah. by Crystal Kayiza. It's just a relationship between this Black woman and the uh, Chinese woman who does her nails. And the last short is Shoulders Deep. I actually coached the filmmakers, um, John Fang and um, Walter Hull, as part of Good Pitch Texas. I, was, I had the pleasure and the honor of meeting them and their subject, Anaya, as they were pitching their film Shoulders Deep when uh, we were deciding, trying to determine what films we would be showing for um, Day of Black Dots. We we're all tasked with, you know, throwing our selections in and I threw Shoulders Deep in there and Everybody said yes. So I was very happy. I love uh, that this goes to show what documentary can be. Well, again, it's about Ayanna Wingate and the plight of being in Hurricane Harvey and how that impacted her life and her family. But I loved, you know, that this story was told through dance. I've had the honor of like meeting her. She is a, she is a powerhouse. She, yes, yeah, she is. Ooh. 
All right, um, let's get into our second feature, Two Gods. Ooh, Two Gods. It's a coming of age. It's a story of mentorship. It's a story of, you know, how a person can change their life or transcend their life. It's a story of ritual of what you do when Muslim, when Muslims, uh, you know, are buried in that whole ritual and you see that happening in this film. So this film has so many layers to it, but this film is, for me, it was kind of, I want to say it's like, it was kind of like a meditation to me. I was just breathing through it. There was something about it that I was kind of just breathing through it i liked how i mean it's it's a it's a topic that uh i find that people are very uncomfortable with death and that if we accept death as part of the human condition or the cycle of the lives that we lead um, people are very uncomfortable about death and so i i liked that this is gonna not just sound trite the humanizing of death that it's to make people comfortable this i mean we we accept humanity and it, a part of that is about death, right? And many people are uncomfortable with that. And I, I genuinely really liked how he um, introduced these young men that this is part of, of living. And I think everyone accepts that. We accept that plants die, our, our pets die. And unfortunately, we accept that we will eventually and who we love die. And so I think that if we become more comfortable with that, that we will be better apt at planning for death, right? Uh, transitioning and um, getting our family, getting our own lives and our the things that we own and our homes and uh, the wealth or assets that we have moving on past beyond us, right? Well, that's what I learned from African cultures and but being involved in, in African dance that they have a different ideology about dying. You know, of course, you know, the death of my, you know, my mother and father were just like devastating, but there was something that at a certain point, you know, even though they live in your heart and the whole thing, there was something that their death, it was a positive because it made, it took me to a different place of growth and of womanhood and becoming a, a whole person. Yeah, well, I wanted to say, actually, I met um, Zishan and his brother uh, many years ago when they were first working on this film at Hot Dogs. You know, they were pitching to me. We have our, our meeting, and the scene they showed me was one of the scenes where they were washing the body. And it was so beautiful and so intimate. Like, I, I started crying right then and there um, in front of them. It's just wonderful to see how this film has come together I also feel like it's timely now because with everything that happened with, with COVID, a lot of our rituals around death that we had counted on were completely disrupted. So I think this film will actually be, I want to say, I want to see welcomed in a way. There is this um, a film critic that um, Rennell and I both knew who passed away last year, Matt Holtzman. He worked for KCRW. And I don't think Rennell, I don't think we've seen him in about a year, but we would see him at events periodically. And then where we used to work, Rennell called on him a lot to be like a moderator. So, you know, we got to know him. And when we found out we passed, you know, it was upsetting. And I, I remember we were talking on the phone and we, we were crying a little bit. And then I think we kind of both realized at the same time, it's like, damn, we can't even go to a memorial service. Mm. 
you know, because of COVID. And like it, the, at, in that moment, I kind of like realized like how much we rely on these things, you know, because you know, we could like meet together and memorialize a person and tell stories and grieve. And that's actually part of the healing process. I think, um, you know, this is like very timely and these are, and this film shows how these things are needed. And I think people are more aware of that more than ever now, you know, particularly everything that's happened in the last year. Okay, and then our last film, we gonna end by dancing a little bit. It's yours. A film about hip hop and the internet. Yes. Now, you know, it's interesting that I was surprised that the committee picked this one. Really? I was. Because I guess I, you know, I don't, I don't have any cred. I mean, I, I'm not. Well, neither am I. And I guess it's like, you know, the committee, just like, you know, it's some fierce ass women. I want to just like so forward thinking that we picked this film, and plus, this film was directed by a woman. But yes, if if we were going to talk about black people as the progenitors of culture, which we are, mm. then I I I, I right. think to me it absolutely lays very nicely because black folks are the progenitors of culture. Mm -hmm. And if beyond jazz, which I love, the next big thing is hip hop. Yep. And no one can deny the black force. No one, mm -hmm. no one. Beyond jazz, are black folks. Well, let's just say first blues. Uh -huh. Let's just say jazz. And then we're going to say rock and roll, R&B. Yeah, okay. And then we're going to say hip hop. Okay, so those are huge pillars. After every screening, there will be a Q&A um, with the filmmakers. And then we'll actually, our, our shorts block folks will all be in one Q&A together. They will all be together. Yes, all the short blocks, uh, Elizabeth Bain and John Feig and Crystal uh, Kagiza, they will be together, but the uh, the features will be, uh, the filmmakers would be there, Marguerite, Zishan. And Melina, Melina Pidgeking. Our members, I'm just excited that, uh, you know, even uh, within COVID, uh, in the last year, we have just expanded. We've uh, we have about 20 new members to the fold. And so we're excited and it's, you know, just a wonderful mix of, of new people, of attorneys and publicists. And I mean, it's just a great mix of people. I'm just really excited about the, the people that have joined, you know, within the quarantine and expanded our membership. Our next workshop on June 3rd, another one of our new uh, members, she is an attorney at OWN. And she is doing a workshop, Najma Brown. She's doing a workshop on fair use because people always have different interpretations of what fair use is. And we have to constantly, constantly remind people, oh, you know what? You just can't grab that because you said it was on, uh, uh, yeah, you saw it. It was a news station. It was on KCET. And since it's news that you can grab it, I know. No. There, it depends on where you put it. Yes, you know, some people have restrictions about personalities and their graphics and <laughs> all of that. And then we also have fourth Mondays, our next fourth Mondays after Day of Black Dots. We're going to have programming in June on the fourth Monday of June. The curating committee, June 28th, we're going to have a documentary and then they're going to go on a hiatus for two months and we're going to come back for other fourth Mondays. These are St. Clair born fourth Mondays documentary series. We have a great, 
free screenings. We have a great creating community of Tiffany and John Kill. And I would, I would recommend many people who are interested, please join and buy a membership today for Bad West. And how much is a membership? $45 per year. All right. What's the website? www.bedwest.org. And to buy your tickets to uh, Day of Black Docs, it's www.dayofblackdocs.org. And that's where you can buy your ticket of $15 for the whole day, not per film, but for the whole day. That's the best deal you don't get in Hollywood, y'all. Exactly. Tickets are still on sale and are only $15. That's $15 for three documentary features and three shorts. You can purchase your tickets by visiting www.dayofblackdocs.org. Again, that's www.dayofblackdocs.org. In our next episode, we're headed back across the pond to the UK, where we speak with filmmakers Stephen Eastwood and Elham Shakiriba. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms. When you give us that five-star rating, it helps to make people more aware of our podcast. Visit our website at whatsupwdocs.com. That's whatsupwdocs.com. And make sure to sign up for our mailing list to get the latest show news. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at whatsupwdocs. Again, that's whatsupwdocs. And remember, keep telling your stories. Today's episode was hosted by Tony Bell and produced by Renelle Schubert. Music is by Sierra Thomas. The What's Up With Docs team would like to acknowledge the traditional ancestral unceded territory of the Chumash and Tongva on which we are recording this podcast.